Hey everybody, welcome back to You Are Not Broken. I am so excited. This is just a quick 30 minute rundown. Quick because like you could really talk about hormones for hours at this point. There's so much interesting stuff to learn. But really what I see is so many people are afraid and the best way to get rid of fear is education. And this is really some education of the Women's Health Initiative study, why that took people off of hormones, why the blanket statement didn't apply to all people, and really understanding the healthy cell hypothesis, which is the hypothesis that the younger you are, and by young they define that as within 10 years of natural menopause, what or surgical menopause, any menopause, and 10 years after, right? Meaning not five years before and five years after, but 10 years after your menopause happens. Those are the healthy people with healthy cells who are most likely to benefit and least likely to have the risks that we saw in the Women's Health Initiative of MI, stroke, and blood clot, which really applied to people who had been off of hormones for greater than 15 years. So meaning the disease cell hypothesis. They were, there was something about them that was already unhealthy that giving them estrogen exacerbated. They're talking about the same hypothesis lately with Alzheimer's disease in the brain. In protecting the brain while it's healthy, Instead of trying to throw estrogen on the brain, once Alzheimer's disease has happened, we know that it is not beneficial. If estrogen is going to help, it's going to be in prevention or keeping the healthy brain healthy. So education is the key and repetition is the key to adult learning. So here we are yet again with another menopause talk on You Are Not Broken, brought to you by sex, which is the reason why I got into menopause in the first place, because of the myth that your sex life has to go away um, because of menopause. Remember, the top two reasons women stop having sex in perimenopause and menopause is number one, symptoms of menopause, hot flashes, night sweats, mood changes, and lack of partner availability. I always say I can help you with number one. <laughs> so without further ado, enjoy this talk. If you if you are a member, we've just lowered the member price. Um, so head on over to kellycaspersonmd.com to become a member where you get these podcasts right away and you get them without ads and you get to watch the video. So this is actually a PowerPoint slide um, with beautiful slides that help illustrate all of my fine points. You can get that and watch that over in the membership if you're interested. Otherwise, I love you always, and I'll see you here next week. Love you. Bye-bye. You are listening to You Are Not Broken, the only podcast that combines science, medicine, and psychology to re-educate your brain and help you live your best love life. And I'm your host, board-certified female urologist, Dr. Kelly Casperson. We're good to go. So I've been wanting to do this menopause lecture for you guys for a while. I did this first in 2022 in front of our medical society. Um, physicians, nurse practitioners, PAs. So it's kind of medicine oriented and it gives, this is really kind of like talking about hormones more specifically than just menopause in general and like the state of how physicians are doing with that and things like that. So I'm recording this on Zoom. If you want to watch the audio on the membership, you can see the slides. So we'll do share screen, menopause hormone therapy in 2023, what we know about how little we know. We will start. So if you are coming in and you have questions, um, type them in the chat box and we will get them all answered. So just a quick aside, this is not individual medical advice. I am usually not your personal physician and don't give you advice over podcasts and memberships anyways 
Um, but this is for education because the more educated a woman is or her partner is, the more she can advocate for herself in this world. So here we go. So I was told in residency that we uh, women were complicated and we couldn't figure them out and the gynecologists were taking care of them anyways. And so I didn't learn much about their sexual function. And because of female sexual function and this journey I've been on for the past three-ish years, learning and sharing about female sexual health, um, menopause came up very naturally and so many people started asking about it. And that's really why I started diving deep into menopause because people had all these assumptions about it, like, like um, your sex life just goes away after menopause and hormones cause cancer and hormones aren't natural and basically all this bullshit. And so I'm like, well, what does actually the data say, right? So before we can talk about menopause, we need to define it. By definition, menopause is one day, right? Some people talk about menopause transition. What they really mean by then is like perimenopause. But the uh, one day of menopause is 366 days after your last natural period, which isn't helpful for a lot of people because of hysterectomies, IUDs, all the reasons that people don't have natural periods, birth control, stuff like that. Um, average age of menopause in Western societies, America, Canada, Britain, UK, around 51 years of age. So 50% of people go into menopause prior to 51. So if you're in your late 40s, it's really not too early. 50% of people go into menopause before age 51, average age 51. So before the current state, a lot of people actually used hormone replacement therapy. And this is like the 80s and the 90s. It was Premarin, which is conjugated estrogen, was actually being marketed uh, in the 60s. It was actually marketed to the husbands because it was basically uh, keep your wife youthful, keep her happy. Husbands too like Premarin is one of these ads for Premarin. Um, so it was really marketed as uh, stay young forever. Um, and a lot of people were on them because it did help hot flashes a lot. What I have shown here on the PowerPoint is a graph showing what has happened in the National Health Service in the UK because of their renowned interest in treating menopause, gender equality, realizing hormones are really helpful to women, is they had around um, 300,000 prescriptions for hormones and then this is doubled in five years to about 700,000 prescriptions for hormone replacement drugs. They actually sold out. You couldn't get, in 2022, there was kind of like a panic in the UK because there were so many more prescriptions for hormones and the manufacturers hadn't really anticipated that and couldn't keep up for a while. So hormones, and when I mean hormones, I mean systemic hormones. Systemic hormones is estrogen, and if you still have a uterus, you must protect the uterine lining with a progestin. Um, most commonly used now is an oral micronized progesterone, uh, which is generic and cheap and very safe, has a side effect of sleepiness, so works great for sleep. Um, you can also use a progestin-secreting IUD, which I love. certainly helps manage periods in the perimenopause arena. Um, not FDA approved for that, but it, it protects the uterus. So that's what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about systemic estrogen, plus if you have a uterus, being on a progestin. So FDA approved indications for estrogen. Number one, prevention of osteoporosis. Number two, treatment of vasomotor symptoms. Number three, treatment of premature ovarian insufficiency. What that means 
off the top of my head is you're going into menopause prior to the age of 40 um, or earlier, like be in their early 30s. We know that those women, because of their lack of estrogen, have significant cardiovascular um, risks. They have significant um, mortality risks. Uh, significant osteoporosis, all these things. So we know the younger you are when your ovaries stop, the more important estrogen is to not only your quality of life, but your longevity. And then number four, genital urinary syndrome of menopause, um, GSM, which is my favorite what I talk about all the time. That's specifically a little more tailored to vaginal estrogen use, but vaginal estrogen use is FDA approved for GSM. So that's looking at FDA approved indications. So how did we get to the point where we thought estrogen caused cancer? In 2001, the Women's Health Initiative came out, and this was a billion-dollar study looking at does estrogen help prevent heart disease? Randomized trial, estrogen to placebo versus estrogen progestin, if you had a uterus, to placebo. These were older women, and by older, I mean average age was late 60s or early 70s. And also, they excluded women who were having symptoms of menopause because they didn't want people to know if they were on the placebo or not, because estrogen's so good at treating hot flashes. So the media took this uh, data and screened it across all the headlines. They actually, the, some of the authors released this to the media, expecting this to happen. Um, this is all kind of planned. Media, estrogen causes cancer, and oh, by the way, it causes uh, heart attack, stroke, and blood clots too. Media went wild. We were hurting our women. Um, the problems with this is that, and there is a um, a paper in 2007 that I'm quoting from here, is the adverse effects of estrogen plus progestin applied to all women, irrespective of age, ethnicity, or disease status. What they meant was most women did fine on estrogen. It was the older women in their 70s, et cetera, who were put on estrogen after not being on estrogen for years that actually saw the increased risk of stroke and cardiovascular disease. The National Institute of Health director of the study was quoted as saying the NIH was going for high impact with the goal to shake up the medical establishment and change the thinking about hormones. So they did this on purpose to create a big drama um, with the hope of getting people off of hormones because they thought hormones were being overused. So what happened is all prescriptions for hormones uh, plummeted. There were so many more prescriptions. About you know it depends upon what studies you you listen to, but about forty percent of people after menopause were on hormones, and it went down to like five percent, something very very low. So we took everybody off of hormones. But what does menopause hormone therapy help? And I'm just going to list this off for people who are listening to the audio, but this is all, you know, not even, probably not even everything, but this is what hormone therapy helps. Basomotor symptoms, sleep, genital urinary syndrome of menopause, sexual function, skin, macular degeneration, all fractures, decreased risk of all fractures, uh, joint pain, reduces fatty liver, decreases risk of diabetes type 2, and improves glycemic control in, if you have diabetes. Decreases Alzheimer's disease and all-cause dementia, improves depression, mood, and anxiety, decreases cardiovascular disease, and decreases colorectal cancer on the order of 30%. So what they what now people think about the Women's Health Initiative, 
Remember, we put asymptomatic women who hadn't been on hormones for decades back on hormones, and they had adverse cardiovascular and stroke and blood clot risk, right? But the young women, and there weren't many of these because the majority of them were in their 70s, the young women, meaning within 10 years of their menopause day, did great. They had very low risks. And, and, and not only did they have low risk, they had great benefit, right? So now the, the researchers and the experts say this is due to a critical window and healthy cell bias hypothesis. What that means is there's a critical window of time in which your body will take the hormones you're giving it and continue to stay healthy and continue to be healthy and not have any issues. But once you age and your body changes because it's not getting hormones, it turns from healthy cells to not healthy cells, meaning your plaques and your arteries have already been generated and now throwing estrogen on them destabilizes these plaques and that's where you get the strokes and the blood clots from. So healthy cell bias hypothesis, meaning if you're relatively young and healthy, you're going to stay that way and hormones are going to be great for you. If you've already aged and had changes because of low estrogen, throwing estrogen on can be hazardous to you. This is where the current recommendations of start within 10 years. And again, I'm talking systemic hormones, not vaginal. Vaginal, you can start at any time. Systemic hormones starting within 10 years of the onset of menopause, meaning 10 years after not five years before, because you don't know, you don't know when menopause is going to happen, right? So what we did or what they did is they, they showed um, data with the theory of why these older women had worse heart attack, stroke, and blood clot. And they said there's progression of coronary atherosclerosis by age in postmenopausal women and the ages of the women participating in the Women's Health Initiative. So the longer you go without estrogen, your arteries develop a fatty streak or a plaque, and those plaques uh, increase, and then they'll get destabilized if you put estrogen back in your body after a long time without. And what they showed was only 17% of women in the Women's Health Initiative were within five years of menopause. 19% were within five to 10 years of menopause. Those are the two healthy cell hypothesis people. Those are the two groups of people who do great on hormones. 43% of women in the Women's Health Initiative study were greater than 15 years post-menopause. They had the highest risk of being on hormones. So when we say hormones have risk and it's heart attack and it's stroke and it's blood clot, it's a blanket statement that doesn't actually, that same risk doesn't apply to everybody. But people don't know that. So what about uh, venous thromboembolism, blood clot risk? The venous thromboembolism risk in younger women, assuming a twofold relative risk, is in the range of 30 to 100,000 women years. This rare occurrence is less than the rate in normal pregnancy, which is 60 per 100,000 women years. So you and which is so pregnancy is a huge estrogen state is what they're saying. And is a normal physiological state, right? Many of us choose to be pregnant. We don't say, I don't want to be pregnant because of the blood clot risk, right? And the blood clot risk of menopause hormone therapy is half of the risk of the risk of getting a blood clot while being pregnant. So what about heart health in general? A lot of people don't know this. Pop quiz, what's the number one killer of women? Cardiovascular disease. You might say breast cancer. Breast cancer has a ton of publicity. Very few people care about the number one killer of women, which is heart health. So 
women on hormones have been shown to have a 30% reduction in all-cause mortality. That is a paper from 2011. Um, a meta-analysis of women receiving hormone therapy who were under 60 years old, including data from the Women's Health Initiative, showed a statistically significant reduction in coronary heart disease. Um, that was a 2006 paper. And a 10-year follow-up of women in the estrogen alone trial in the Women's Health Initiative showed that the 50 to 59-year-old group had a significantly reduced risk of MI and coronary heart disease. That's the healthy cell hypothesis coming back at you. So multiple studies show decreased all-cause mortality. 9% decrease all-cause mortality in a UK retrospective study and three-year extended life expectancy. So a 30% decrease in all-cause mortality, you're not getting that from taking a baby aspirin. You're not getting that from taking a statin. Um, you are getting that with, with exercise. Again, another reason to push exercise on, on people. But if there was a drug that decreased all-cause mortality by 30% in men, they would all be on it. I would argue if there was a company that could patent a drug that had a 30% decrease in all-cause mortality, they would patent it. It would be freaking expensive and we'd try to figure out how to get it cheap enough so everybody could get on it that's called estrogen it's actually very cheap and women are scared shitless about it unnecessarily here's a pop quiz if you're a person who has been very scared about estrogen i ask you to reflect and be like why are you scared about estrogen where'd it come from who told you that and most women, in my experience, have no idea. It's just in the zeitgeist. It's just in the ether. They're just scared for absolutely, they can't even tell me why they're scared about it. And this is why my work's so important is to be like, I can't get you on hormones until I get you to understand that they're not only not scary, but they're cheap and they're safe and they actually can decrease your all-cause mortality by 30%. But you have to undo that bias that we have because we've been told to be afraid of something our body naturally makes absolute contraindications to hormone therapy who can't be on it active or history of breast cancer i hope this changes someday uh, I, I bet it will within my life because there are currently five million survivors of breast cancer and they're miserable they're worried about their heart disease they're worried about their bones they're worried about their lack of sex life um, and we don't have a lot of good data to say you can take hormones after treatment of breast cancer Unexplained vaginal bleeding, got to get that worked up, any active liver disease, or history of PE, stroke, or MI. So once you've had those things happen to you, certainly you're at increased risk of them happening again. And those are current contraindications to hormone therapy. Relative contraindications, smoking. Smoking increases your risk of blood clot. That's the thing. We're so scared of risk of blood clot, yet we smoke cigarettes. Not all of us. But like, that's a huge risk for number one, MI, stroke cardiovascular disease and blood clot and people still do it they and they, they cost money and they still do it um and i don't mean to downplay how incredibly addictive this is and how incredibly addictive it is to stop but my point is we choose to do things that are harmful for us um much more harmful than hormone therapy so it's, it's just like a, a a realization of our relative um way we think about things right if you drink alcohol, you have about a 15% increased risk of breast cancer compared to a woman who doesn't drink alcohol. People do it all the time, right? 
it's like you're actually very if you smoke or if you drink or if you know somebody who does they're actually very willing to increase the risk of these things but not 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 uh, drinking is for another talk so relative contraindications to hormone therapy, smoking, cardiac risk, a high cardiac risk already, and then a previous DVT. People who it is okay to take hormones. Uh, if you have a BRCA1 or BRCA2 gene mutation, it's okay to take hormones. If you have a relative with breast cancer, it's okay to take hormones. And if you use uh, vaginal estrogen, everybody can take vaginal estrogen, even people who are treated for breast cancer. If you are on an aromatase inhibitor, ask your oncologist to see if it's right for you. Um, it gets a little more murkier with some studies on an active on an aromatase inhibitor. So best practices for hormone replacement therapy. Start within 10 years of your menopause. You can continue it for life. There's no reason you have to stop if the benefits outweigh the risks. And the guidelines say yearly risk versus benefit discussion with your doctor. Be up to date on your mammograms. We know estrogen doesn't cause cancer, but it can cause growth of small cancer. So we must detect things that are there, uh, even if they're small, and treat them. So you have to be up to date on your mammograms. If you have a uterus, you must be on a progestin to protect your uterus from unopposed estrogen. We know that unopposed estrogen, not protecting the uterus with the progestin, you have a 5 to 10% increased risk of a uterine cancer. But that risk goes away when you take a progestin. Um, if your calculated cardiac risk factor is greater than 8%, 8 to 10%, um, they recommend not starting you on hormones. Non-oral estrogen is likely best. Oral estrogen is cheap. That's why it's so tempting. And people are used to taking pills. But it causes first-pass metabolism through the liver. That's where the inc increased clotting factors come from. So it's tricky. I see people come in on oral estrogen. And I'm like, if you want the safest, you got to switch to a patch, patch or a cream. There's also a systemic vaginal ring called Femring, which I love. And it's cheap for some people, but it's expensive for some other people. But non-oral estrogen is best because you're not putting it through your liver system. Um, if you have vaginal bleeding after six months on hormones, it should be investigated. And then I always say financial considerations. The FDA approved products can be can be had for pretty cheap. Um, that's why I'm against pellets or compound because this is a lifelong medication. We've got to make it we've got to make it uh, cheap for you guys. So follow up. What do you do? You start somebody on hormones. I like to see them back in three months before you adjust. It takes a while for your body to adjust. Also, if you haven't had a period for a while, but you're still relatively young, you might have some, you know, restart of your periods or vaginal bleeding. Totally normal. You just have increased risk. You have increased estrogen in your body now. But you got to check in and make sure that's, you know, going to go, going to start to resolve or get it worked up. You might need higher levels, especially in younger people. And you don't have to follow hormone levels unless you worry that they're not absorbing it or they're not getting any benefit. You can see where they are, but we don't treat to a certain level, we treat to how people feel. So unanswered questions that we have about hormones. Um, what's the role of being on hormones after breast cancer? This is the big million dollar question. Can we use it for prevention? FDA approved for prevention of osteoporosis, yes. United States Physicians Task Force, so USPTF, says it is not recommended for preventative for prevention of any specific condition in all people. So 
let's not mistake that recommendation. Some people will be like, oh, the USPTF said um, that we shouldn't use hormones. That's not what they said. They said uh, at a countrywide, so uh, public health level, hormones should not be used for primary prevention of any disease. And that's very fair. Most There are no drugs off the top of my head that are used for primary prevention of any disease on a global, on a nationwide population. Not even baby aspirin, because there are risks to some people for baby aspirin, right? So I think this, this was a fair statement by the uh, United States Physician Services Task Force, but it has been um, misinterpreted. Another unanswered question is, what's the role of testosterone in in menopause therapy and for in um, indications other than desire. Because currently testosterone is really indication, again, not FDA approved, but indication is for desire. Um, I think there's a role for bone health, muscle health, brain health. Um, we've got some good data, but we don't have strong guidelines for that yet. And then the other unanswered question would be, what about our poor baby boomers or our older even our older Gen X, right? So it's been 10 years or greater past menopause. It's not an absolute contraindication, but how do we counsel these people? How do we keep them, uh, give them the best advice? Some of them do want to start hormones and you don't want to, it's hard to say to an entire generation, sorry, you missed the boat because we were idiots and scared everybody off of estrogen, right? So what do you do with that population? Um, I usually say, you know, when people question me on Instagram, I usually say, ask your, you got to see a, a specialist who's willing to have that risk benefit discussion with you. Going back real quick to review what does cause breast cancer. Now that, now that I've told you estrogen doesn't, alcohol, fat distribution, elevated BMI uh, because of adipose tissue, and then inactivity are all strong, strongly correlated and linked to breast cancer. So the public health disservice we did by pulling women off of estrogen um, didn't help them. And it's not helping them that we market alcohol to moms, we market alcohol to women, and we don't talk about the importance of the hormone changes that can happen when you have a high uh, fat distribution and you're, you do not exercise. So talking real quick about how, how to get testosterone, I like to use the um, testosterone gel, 1%. You make it one tube, last 10 days. That's the standard female dose. One tube for one day is the male dose. It's actually very cheap. Um, you don't need pellets. You don't need to spend all your money. This is a cheap, cheap way to get testosterone. Um, multiple studies show that compounded medications are less regulated. They can be associated with higher side effects and higher physiologic um, dosing. And we don't have long-term studies on the effect of testosterone in women, but certainly we're trying to get you a, a physiologic female dose, not a male dose, unless you want to transition to a man. That's a, that's a whole nother talk. But um, compounded and pellets is going to really push you to a much higher testosterone than the uh, testum, FDA-approved product. Bioidentical, that, that word makes all the experts cringe because we know it's a marketing word. Um, it doesn't mean anything. 
bioidentical, estradiol's bioidentical, microdense progestins bioidentical. So a lot of FDA approved products are bioidentical. They just mean they're inc incredibly similar to what our body naturally makes. Um, and there's some some experts who will argue that bioidentical is safer, and I'm I will, I'm not here to not argue that. I'm just here to say if anybody's touting bioidentical like it's you know something proprietary or special, it's not. It's a marketing term. You put natural on a candy bar, people are more likely to buy it. Natural doesn't mean anything on a candy bar. So again, we had lots of people on hormones. We ripped them off. They're miserable. And to this day, a lot of women I see are like, I wish I never had to stop. Now we know you don't have to stop. It's incredibly safe. Probably makes you live longer. Even if it doesn't make you live longer, it decreases your risk of heart attack, stroke, blood, uh, heart attack, stroke, Alzheimer's disease, colon cancer. Also preventing muscle loss and bone loss uh, and collagen loss. It makes you, you know, might make you look look uh, good for a little bit longer. So I'll leave you with do no harm, but take no shit, which I absolutely love that. If you want more resources, check out the North American Menopause Society, NAMS. It's menopause.org to find a provider near you. Heather Hirsch um, was at Harvard. She now uh, helps run MIDI Health, M-I-D-I, which is an online clinic that does hormones. You can check them out if you don't have access to hormones uh, nearby you. And also my, my podcast, You Are Not Broken, because I talk a lot about menopause because of sex. Because a lot of people who are going through perimenopause and menopause want to keep having sex. One other thought I'll leave you with is, are we being equitable? I was actually talking to two male urologists who specialize in andrology. So they deal with male infertility, male sexual dysfunction. And I was kind of joking about like if a man who was 55 came in and was like, hey, I've got low testosterone and my erections just aren't working as well. Doctors don't say like, well, have you ever thought you're just getting old and you just might need to deal? I literally made them like laugh out loud in their chairs at how ridiculous that statement to a man would be. And I say, but we do that to women every single day. All I'm asking is we treat men with low testosterone the same as we treat women with low hormones. And in this country, we're just so worried about like everything that because of that worry, we make women live in misery and have worse health outcomes because we keep them off hormones. The other thing about are we being equitable when we transition people, let's say we transition anybody from male to female, female to male, and we put them on hormones. Do we tell them to stop at age 50? like we do with cisgender, you know, ov ovary females, we don't. We let them stay on their hormones because we know their quality of life matters. So I think that women who aren't taking hormones to transition are the worst treated of all the people who have options to take hormones. And I just want us to all be equal. So... North American Menopause Society in 2022 came out with a statement. They said for women aged younger than 60 years or who are within 10 years of menopause onset and have no contraindications, the benefit risk ratio is favorable for treatment of bothersome vasomotor symptoms and prevention of bone loss. Your, your nationwide menopause society will back you up in taking these hormones, you guys. I love you so much. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. All right. If you have any questions, feel free to ask. Thanks so much for coming to my menopause lecture. I'm so excited. I was finally able to do this and record it for you guys. I love you.
Um, education is the key to dissolving fear. And uh, until then, you are not broken. Love you guys so much. See you next time.